Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you live today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. also want to thank our sponsors today, the PMO Squad. Are you tired of failed projects? Deploy the squad to rescue your PMO and projects and start recovering lost time, money, and peace of mind. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about all of their project management services. So before we jump into the show today, just wanted to say happy birthday to my mom. If she's listening back in Schenectady, New York, happy birthday, mom, and I'll give you a call later. Also want to thank Brian and Tricia from PMO Partners. Yesterday, we had a great webinar as part of their webinar, project management webinar series, and I talked about using our PMO approach to build and improve your PMO. We had great audience uh, listening in from across the U.S., Canada, India, Saudi Arabia, and beyond. So that was a lot of fun. And Belinda, I know you've presented a few max, a few months back in their webinar series as well. I have. Also wanted to mention last night here in Phoenix, we had our PMI dinner meeting. And John Bailey, who's been a guest of the show and has been the president of the local chapter, had uh, signed off as his term as coming to an end and he had mentioned as one of his highlights uh, within his tenure was having Dr. Harold Kersner in as one of the guests that we had. I think it was back in February here locally. So with that, uh, we have as our guests, as I mentioned, Belinda Goodrich and Dr. Harold Kersner. Thank you both for being on. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Also wanted to mention to all of our listeners that our shows are live. And to prove it, you can ask a question on Twitter Use hashtag PMO Joe. We are monitoring Twitter. And if you have questions for Belinda or Dr. Kersner, we'll get to those live on air. So let's get started. Talk some project management. Uh, first, Dr. Kersner, we'll, we'll open it up with you to be able to share a little bit with our listeners about what you've got going on and what's new in your world. Or anything else you want to share with us about project management? I work for the International Institute for Learning out of New York City, we're multinational. And my job is as Senior Executive Director for Project Management to predict the future of project management, assuming that can be done. And then we take a lot of the work that I do and that I discover with the companies I work with and we integrate it into all of our training courses. So we're teaching state of the art. What I'm working on now and I plan to complete within the next couple of weeks is a book on innovation project management. And I got involved in that when I started doing research on it a couple of years ago, and I could not find any articles, believe it or not, I could not find any articles where people use the word project management and innovation in the same sentence. I just couldn't find it. And as I did research, I began to understand why. So that's what I'm working on now, a book on innovation project management. That's great. I love the, the forward look of you into our industry as too often we're always thinking about uh, retrospectives and what we've done in the past. So I love the idea of keeping us 
moving forward. So thank you. We'll, we'll obviously dig into those topics a little more as the show goes on. And Belinda, uh, welcome. And let's uh, give you an opportunity to say hello to the listeners and, and a little bit more about yourself. Thank you. My name is Belinda Goodrich, and I am the president of PM Learning Solutions. We are a training and consulting firm out of beautiful, sunny Phoenix here. And we serve clients all over the world. And we are a registered education provider of PMI. So we focus on PMP, exam prep, uh, risk management professional, agile certified practitioner. We also do consultation. And I love what Dr. Kirshner said. I'll echo it all about innovation and the partnership of innovation with project management. That's part of my focus as well. I look at agility, change, innovation, and disruption. I call it the the acid effect, and I think project management has such a role in all of that. And so I have just the distinct pleasure of working with companies, helping them get better, more efficient, helping them grow. And to me, project management is a lifestyle. Sounds kind of silly, but I've been a project manager for 30 years. So it's in everything that I do. So my Thanksgiving this next week is going to be very well organized. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, and another the thing all three of us have in common, we have uh, Belinda originally from Maine, I'm from upstate New York, Dr. Kersner from Boston. We're all uh, Boston Red Sox fans, so we're going to celebrate our world championship and talk about that if we have to as well. Heck yes. So uh, go Red Sox and uh, at least a year, another for the fourth time in the past uh, decade or so, we're world champions. So, you know, we have a constant theme that seems to be forming here based on Dr. Kersner's intro and Belinda's intro as well, and that's the future. And Dr. Kersner, if you want to elaborate a little bit more as to what you, what does that future of project management look like? Oh, great question. In order to talk about the future, you have to take a look real briefly at the past. I've been involved in project management for more than five decades in industry, teaching, and now consulting. But Project management, at least the way it was originally created, was done by the Department of Defense because they had all these different contractors and they wanted standardization. They wanted standardization consistency in the way projects were managed and reported back to the government. Earned value measurement was created to standardize reporting. So what we did, we created all these methodologies based upon what the Department of Defense wanted, and PMI jumped on board as well. But the problem we have is that we were under the impression for years that one size fits all. What that meant was that if we create a methodology for project management, we can find some way to squeeze all of the projects into that one methodology. And all of that has basically changed. It started to change when I started doing research on best practices in the late 1990s, and I saw it. I was consulting for uh, a tier one auto supplier in Detroit, and they had three PMOs, one for Ford, one for Chrysler, and one for GM. They were a tier one supplier. And I was working with the manager of the PMO for, I believe it was Chrysler, and he said they just changed the way they manage the projects in their company, and I said, why? He said, well, we had a mandatory requirement, mandatory, that every project we work on has to have a risk management report. And I told the executives, I'm not spending any money creating a risk management report that this has no risk on this project. Why are we spending money and throwing it away? We need freedom. We need flexibility. 
So senior management said, okay, this one time, we'll give you the freedom to not create a risk management report. And all of a sudden, executives began trusting project managers more and more and more. And all of a sudden, you turn the century, and along comes techniques like Agile and Scrum, which are predicated upon one word, one word only, trust. Agile and Scrum wouldn't exist if senior management and customers didn't trust project managers. So basically what we have right now is that we're tending to go away from the one-size-fit-all approach, and we're giving project managers more freedom. Let me answer it in just a couple more sentences. This is the future. As a project manager, you're going to walk into a company cafeteria, and on the shelves are going to be all the forms, guidelines, templates, and checklists for project management. You will be allowed to handpick whatever forms, guidelines, templates, and checklists you need to customize that project for that particular client. Years ago, executives never trusted project managers. Now they do, and they're letting project managers have that freedom. In my mind, that's probably the number one ingredient why techniques like Agile and Scrum work and why we're now changing traditional project management the way we know it. That's my vision of the future, these changes that are taking place. Yeah, and I, I, I think through, it's kind of like saying on a construction site, uh, the workers who have a tool belt on, they're only allowed to carry one tool, right? You're coming in with just a hammer. Well, go do your job. And you're certainly not going to be successful. So in my experience, right, the same thing we find is give the project managers, weaponize them with more tools to be able to go in and be successful because each job is going to be different and require a different tool. And Belinda, when I was in the industry, I had one tool, earned value measurement, one. This was in the 1970s. Now I'm working with clients that have 50 tools, 50 tools. And I have one client that gave me the metrics that he uses on innovation projects. I grew up in an environment with three metrics, time, cost, and scope. He handed me 92 metrics, 92 metrics that he's giving his clients in order to track the performance of innovation projects. That's pretty scary. Certainly a, a change from the way it used to be. And Belinda, how about you? Or what are you saying as you're working with your clients as well about the future of project management and where we're headed? You know, I would echo on the, the trust factor, but I would back it up a little bit too and say part of the reason the trust is there is because project managers are recognizing that they have much more of a strategic role and they have much more accountability and ownership within the success of the business and the organization than in years past. You know, early years of project management, the project managers were very much the subject matter expert, the technical expert. They, they owned the widget. So if we were going to change the widget, they were responsible for managing the change. Today's project managers are much more strategic. They have a broader skill set. Um, I love that we're moving beyond the triple constraint and talking about business value and does the project yield value. We're looking at, you know, the business case benefits in a different way than we used to with projects. And I think project managers are stepping up well into that role and enjoying their role a lot more because they have that accountability. They have that ownership. And when they come through and are making decisions that are supporting the business and growing the business, that's where that trust is coming from, from to Dr. Kersner's point. I think when th there's that mutual partnership that the organization recognizes, our project managers are our key to growth. They are our key to success because we have to change. 
in order to say to stay competitive in today's landscape, those project managers are the ones that are equipped to do that. And so I think it comes both ways. I think the project manager is stepping up and earning that trust as well. Yeah, and we've always viewed it as the what separates the good project manager from the great project manager is the good can handle the technical requirements of building a schedule and getting out a status report. The great are the ones that understand the impact to the business, why they're doing the project, the ability to communicate up to executives, down to a team, influence, motivate the soft skills, and understand that this project they're working was is a strategic initiative that the organization decided we're going to make an investment in. Uh, so to your exactly. point, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. You had mentioned a little bit, Belinda, at the, the opening here about ACID, the ACID approach. Let's dig into that a little bit. And can you expand on that a little bit for us? Certainly. So in working with clients, it's it's interesting uh, that in, I know Dr. Kersner as a consultant, I'm, I'm sure you may see this as well. When you go into the different businesses, everyone thinks that their problems are unique. And yet at the end of the day, they're not. You know, we see very consistent themes. And so to me, that's where the, the four main themes that I kept seeing come up with clients is they weren't agile enough to your approach, to your, to your point. It's hybrid now. It's looking at different ways, creative ways. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So that's the agility piece. And whether it's actually using agile techniques, which I am a big fan of, um, or just being open to different ways of accomplishing our goals. Um, So agility is one spot that could be at risk. Innovation, and I love that you opened up with that because I'm very passionate about that because I do believe project management is the key ingredient in innovation. Being able to innovate ahead of what the other competitors are doing. When we look at the change, change managed well. That is project management. And it's just, it's just not the same business landscape we used to have where, you know, we had our operations in force and we had our product and we just maintained it. And, oh, yeah, once in a while we did these special projects every day in a business to stay competitive as a project. Like you have to be looking constantly at that. And that leads to the last part, which is disruption. Looking at how are we disrupting the marketplace and regardless of the industry you're in or the business you're in, you have to cause some disruption to get the attention, to get the customers to continue to grow and stay competitive. Yeah, uh, before we came on air, we were kind of chatting a little bit about the differences of project management and regions across the, the globe compared to the United States and perhaps uh, some other areas are a little more advanced than us in an innovative mindset with project management. And Dr. Kersner, with your travels and experiences, how do you see that as far as other regions across the, the country versus across the globe and how project management is maybe more advanced or more innovative, if you will, across the globe? One of the things I've been preaching for a long time is how do you define success on a project? You do not define success in terms of time, cost, and scope. The only true definition of success when working on a project, the only definition is whether or not you've created business value. If you haven't created business value by working on that project, why did you work on that project in the first place? And why was that project even in the queue if you couldn't identify the business value? Years ago, as a young project manager, I was working on a project. The price tag today would probably be in the billions of dollars. But even as a project manager, I wasn't allowed to interface directly with the customer. All customer interfacing was done by the project sponsor because most of the PMs were engineers and they knew how to repair widgets, but they had limited knowledge about the business. 
Today, we want project managers to make business decisions as well as technical decisions on projects. What a lot of people don't realize today is how project management has been elevated. Let me give you an example. You take a look at most of the top-notch companies in the Fortune 100, and every year or every two years, they do a study on what happens to be the four or five most important career paths for that company to have a future. What's the future based upon? What are the critical career paths? Do you know that in most of those companies, project management makes the short list of one of the four or five career paths? Matter of fact, in some of the companies I deal with, it's not called a career path. It's called a strategic competency. Mm -hmm. You take a look at IBM. IBM has 46,000 project managers worldwide. You take a look at when IBM announces their earnings to Wall Street, that the marketplace is interested in their consulting practice, their project management group, not how many mainframes they sold. That's a significant change from what we've seen in the past. So what I'm saying is when you take a look at outside of the United States, Europe, and even in the Middle East, their project managers have a business mindset more so than a lot of the companies in the United States. Their project managers are making business decisions as well as project decisions. And for a lot of those companies outside of the United States, project management is already considered to be a strategic competency. That's an elevation higher than a traditional project management career path. And since we now measure the success of a project based upon benefits realization and business value created, project managers no longer make presentations to the first floor of the building. Project managers now make briefings and presentations to the top floor of the building and even to the board of directors. That's a significant change. And I see this happening more so outside of the United States than in the United States. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I, I visit clients and I'll always ask them, what's the most important things you're working on as an organization? And they'll list four or five projects, maybe one or two operational items, but mainly projects. And then I'll ask them who's running them. And they're usually a junior level project manager. And I said, well, how come you have leaders within your organization that are not involved in your most strategic, important projects? And that gets our discussion rolling. And, and Belinda, maybe you call that the kick-ass project manager. I'm not sure. You've got a book out uh, that you wrote on uh, that. The title is The Kick-Ass Project Manager. I mean, what in your mind, in your experience, right? What, who, what's the makeup of that? You know, the makeup to me is someone who does step into that role and pushes, pushes the boundaries. I call it having an entrepreneurial mindset. You can be a company person, you can be a junior level person, but do you have that entrepreneurial mindset in that you want to be thinking about your project budget as if it's your own? You want to be looking at every decision that's made. Again, looking at that business value, having those, you know, checkpoints within to say, are we still going to get the value we anticipated? And being able to, I think you said it earlier, have the why, because if you're going to motivate a team around a project, you've got to know the why and you've got to have the elevator speech on the why and you need to believe the why in order to get your folks engaged in it. And so to me, that's the kick-ass perspective. If you go above and beyond and you really understand how this project contributes to the organization, and if you can't make that correlation and if you can't communicate that to others, something needs to happen. There's either a gap on the project side or there's a gap on your side. Now, another thing I've observed, right, is, and again, I, I think as Dr. Kirzner alluded to, if you look at formal project management in modern history, 
it started back in Department of Defense, NASA, the, the 60s, right, with PMI, et cetera. So it's not a very mature profession. And we're learning, right? We're evolving, we're growing. And eventually, I think we get as good as accounting and sales and other departments, and we get to 100 years old and 1,000 years old as a, as a function. But in the early years, it seems as if perhaps it's a male-dominated profession. Um, and maybe we're now starting to see a stronger influence of women coming into the profession what Belinda, obviously, as a leader in our industry and a woman, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, certainly. My first uh, real big corporate project management job, I was the I was the only female project manager. Um, there were 112, 111 were men, and I was the female. I moved into a director role, same thing, a project management group. I was the only female, and when I started PM Learning Solutions back in 2007 and I would do project management classes, I would do PMP exam prep classes, I would maybe have one or two women per every 15 to 20 men. And now I have more women coming into those classes than I do men. And I think there's a recognition, I just think globally, that that women are just as capable. But I think that also that women are finding their voice and saying, hey, we're really good at at getting stuff done, at getting things organized, at understanding how to influence and also understanding how to have the emotional intelligence to manage a team really well. So bringing in all of the good aspects. I think part of it is not necessarily that women weren't good at it and now they are. I think women in in and of themselves did not realize that this was a, a, a worthy career path for them. I don't think they saw it as, oh, yay, I want to be a project manager. And the women that have found their home there have completely blossomed. And so I see more and more women entering the field. I'm the only woman that holds the credentials I do. I keep hoping, you know, I'm going to get some more uh, gals on my team here, but I think it's it's wonderful. I think the, the mix of having it more 50-50, I think brings in skills from both sides. Well, and, and Dr. Kirsner, I may go back as well. You had touched upon when you had started, there were project management maybe came out of the engineering field and engineering uh, another male-dominated field. So as we're starting to build that separation, between project management as a true skill set versus a separator of engineering and other uh, mm-hmm. operational skills that now we're starting to see that impact of women. The, the other thing I would touch on with that would be, uh, again, we're evolving, right? So it's the evolution of what did we used to be as a profession and where are we headed as a profession? And both of you have talked a little bit about the future in innovation. And I think that it's bringing in those mindsets to understand that there is a skill set that is unique and that women obviously are just as equipped, if not more equipped than men are to handle those situations. Uh, now, Dr. Kersner, you, you know, we had talked a little bit about methodologies and the change and you had talked agile versus uh, traditional, et cetera. But as we look to the future, do you think we're going to have defined methodologies as they are today or, or what is the future of methodology looks like in your mind? In my mind, the word methodology will disappear from most in from the vocabulary of most companies. The word methodology will be replaced with the words flexible methodology or framework. And a framework is a flexible methodology. Microsoft hasn't used the word methodology in a decade. They have Microsoft Solution Framework, MSF, and they use framework. And the reason is, take a look at who your customer is. Years ago, when we used to sell our capabilities, we used to tell the customer, we have a really great methodology for project management. 
Our company uses it and it works very well and we'll use it to produce your deliverables. Customers today are saying, we want you to develop a methodology that's customized to the way we do business, not the way you do business. And that's the secret behind flexible methodologies. You can customize it closer to your client's needs. And you have a vision. You have a vision to the top. Uh, one of the things that project managers never had in the past, because they were engineers, and I'm one of those engineers that all I had were degrees in engineering. But one of the things that project managers never had was line of sight to the top. Project managers never knew strategic business objectives. Therefore, they could only make technical decisions. Take a look at the words that I would love to play back what Belinda said before and ask the audience, what skills do you think you need as a project manager in order to do what she said on how she envisions the changes that have taken place in the marketplace? And you'll see that a lot of the skills that are needed are completely different skills than what we're now teaching. We need to teach people how to deal with really significant ambiguity, uncertainty, complexity, and risk. Not the way we teach it today, but real serious ambiguity and uncertainty. We have to teach design thinking. We have to teach brainstorming. We have to teach significantly more on the behavioral side of project management than the technical side, because project managers are no longer technical experts. We can hire hundreds or thousands of people that are technical experts to work on projects. But to find really good project managers that have strong behavioral skills, that's difficult, very, very difficult. And Belinda, if you can elaborate on a little bit more, and uh, Dr. Kirsner just talked about obviously leading PM Learning Solutions, an organization that's focused on that learning. How have you seen an evolution in, in your products and services that you're offering into your clients? Yeah, most certainly. And, you know, I, I agree that that being able to deal with an environment with amb ambiguity, um, having that resilience is a, is a big one. So teaching resilience and all, a lot of that all comes out of emotional intelligence. Um, I'm, I've been a big emotional intelligence fan for years. I may have had to have an emotional intelligence intervention done on myself uh, <laughs> early in my uh, project management career, let's just say. And um, I saw how it changed my life as far as, you know, being able to adapt to situations, understand people, because ultimately end, at the end of the day, what do we do as project managers? We manage change. People do not like change. And we have to figure out the psychology behind that. And we have to understand the hearts and minds of the people that are affected by our projects, our project results, especially in those environments, like Dr. Kirsner said, of high ambiguity. You know, it's not only the project that's a change that they're dealing with, but also the environment, the landscape, where are we going and how are we doing it? So to me, that emotional intelligence piece is huge. The ability to have good dialogue, good direct dialogue, I, I will go on my soapbox just for a, a quick second on this. You know, I talk about conflict in and of itself is not bad. It's how we deal with conflict that can be bad. And in any project, you're going to have differences of opinions. And just, I think in general, as a society, we've lost our ability to have good, honest, open dialogue and have differences of opinion. And when we stifle 
those differences of opinion, we lose so much creativity. We lose that innovation. So a skill set I work with a lot of my clients' teams on is how do we have those good discussions where we can have differences of opinions and we can challenge each other. Uh, Dr. Kersner, you mentioned brainstorming. Um, brainstorming, storytelling. How do we create an environment where we're able to have good, challenging, mastermind-like dialogues that drive the businesses forward? I love this discussion because it's out of the technical weeds that so many people focus on or still think about with project management. And the, and we're, it's the reason we're doing this show is to help elevate project management as a profession and distribute this message out to our audience and to businesses because I think they still, many of the businesses are still rooted in the old school beliefs of project management. Uh, they may not have the IBM mindset that Dr. Kersner alluded to before. And I'll reference yesterday, again, the webinar that I presented. We did a poll question, and I asked, what are you doing at your organization to try to improve project management? And 88% of the respondents said, change our methodology. And it's where we're stuck as an industry, right? Mm -hmm. We have to move beyond that and understand that if we don't get the culture, if we don't get the soft skills, if we don't get the items that both of you have been talking about, we're going to be stuck. We need to evolve and we need to continue to grow. So I think this has been fantastic discussion for our listeners. Thank Let you me for one point to that for a second. Yeah. We've known for a long time that you're going to have to change the culture in the company. But it's only been, in my mind, in the last several years where we started looking, like Belinda said, at storytelling, brainstorming, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Now take a look at who we're trying to change. We're dealing with people that have been in project management 20, 30 years. They grew up in an environment where project management meant obedience to policies, procedures, and a methodology. Removing these people from their comfort zone is a serious threat to them. That's why there's so much resistance. As we get younger people into the workforce, it's going to become easier in my mind to make these changes. But when you deal with some of these archaic organizations that are loaded with senior people that are closed-minded and afraid to be removed from their comfort zone and believe that project management is obedience to a rigid methodology, it's going to be a very, very slow process. And the only way you're going to get that resolve is by making presentations to the top floor of the building and getting them to realize that they are the architects of the approach and they have to take the lead in changing the culture. Without support from the top floor of the building, we're going to be fighting an uphill battle trying to make all these changes. I wish I had you join me for my presentation yesterday, right? <laughs> the uh, the PMO approach, the P of that is purpose and getting executive leadership to align with the PMO and what the purpose is of the PMO because it's probably changed over the years, right? It's no longer the governance organization. It's now how are you executing on our most strategic projects? And we have too many PMO leaders out there today who are marking all the tick marks on their checklist that we did the right documents and as you alluded to at the beginning, right, Dr. Kersner, it's, it isn't about which documents you've done. It's about how are we providing value. And uh, so that was a great summary uh, based on my talk from yesterday as well. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, this has uh, been awesome. And I, and I enjoy this having both of you on here because we're digging deeper than some of our prior shows where a lot of folks have really 
state at the technical level and we try to dig deeper and help our listeners understand that there's more. And Belinda, when you had started talking earlier, you had talked a little bit about how project management is relevant for business growth and how, and that's been a kind of a theme of this discussion here. Where do you see that going? How can that continue to evolve? How can we get more business growth from project management? Convincing the the upper levels of the importance of project management, you know, you could go in and you could have a, a wonderful presentation to them about, you know, how we feel passionate about project management, why it's important to me. I always want to hit them where it hurts, which is the pocketbook. I want to go to the dollar value. So I always start off with what are your goals? What are your strategic goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And I asked the question, I think, Joe, you mentioned you asked, okay, so if you're going to get there because you have strategic goal number one, number two, and number three, who do you have in charge leading that? Because if it is that junior person down in the corner or the person, uh, to Dr. Kirshner's point, who's been around for 20, 30 years and is very rigid about their approach, is that the best person? So to me, it is about having that awareness if we're going to drive growth. We have to look at the people driving the growth. We have to look at the people who are responsible for leading the growth. And it's not just the tactical project management. It's how do you get the the employee base on board with that, the users on board with it in a way that makes a compelling statement. And so if you have somebody who is very heads down, very methodology driven, again, they're great at checking the boxes, but are they good at challenging things, challenging the status quo, um, and again, getting to the emotional root of what's going on? Yeah, it's interesting uh, to pr- have a different view. It's almost about project management now becoming a delivery and an execution function, right? And understanding what are the skill sets required to do that. Definitely. Okay. Can I add a little bit to that for a minute? Of course, jump in. One of the things executives do not understand, in my mind, are what the training needs are for their project managers to be successful, especially if the strategic objectives are to grow multinationally. The skills needed to grow multinationally in many cases are a lot different than the skills needed today. And I tell my classes a story about my daughter. My daughter's project manager, she's a PMP. She went to work for a company as a project manager. Then she headed up the PMO. Then they asked her if she wanted to be a multinational project manager as they expanded. And she talked to me about it and decided she was going to do it. So they gave her a continent. They said, you're going to manage all of these projects on this continent. And I told her to be careful. They actually gave her all of South America and Latin America. And she was spending two weeks a month at corporate headquarters in two weeks a month out of the country. And after a couple of months, she said, I wasn't properly trained for this job. I said, I know, tell me what you've learned. And she sat down and discussed it with me. And we concluded there were three skills needed to be a multinational project manager that we don't emphasize enough now. If you wanna work in a foreign country, you have to understand their culture, you have to understand their religion, and you have to understand their political climate, culture, religion, and politics. And yet, we don't teach that in our courses. And yet, these countries that are outside of the United States that need strategic partners in order to grow, they understand that in many cases a lot better than we do. I'm not saying we don't train all of our project managers well, but 
there's a completely different picture if you want to grow multinationally if those are the strategic objectives than if you want to grow only domestically. It requires a completely different set of skills. And I envision in the future to see multinational project management degreed programs, masters and doctorates in multinational project management, where people would spend, say, uh, half of their educational process in the United States, and then the other half in some foreign country where they will also work part-time for some other national con national company learning how culture, religion, and politics impact the project. To give you an example, this was told to me by a woman who's a project manager uh, in the United States. She said, in the United States, when you have a problem, you bring it upstairs to your sponsor and the sponsor resolves it. She said, you know how high that problem goes. It goes to the sponsor. She said, when you're working outside of the United States and you bring a problem upstairs, you have no idea where it's going to end up. Suddenly, you see ministers from the government show up in your office trying to help you make decisions. And you had no idea that the projects went up that high. So it's a completely different environment for companies that want to grow multinationally. Another thing you mentioned there that stood out to me as a, an addendum to that conversation is the degree programs for project management. Currently, we struggle as a, a nation, right, to have universities uh, across the board who offer project management training. There, it's very limited number of universities that offer uh, a bachelor's or a master's degree in project management, and we have to seek professional training like PM Learning Solutions with Belinda to go get that training. And, and part of that, I guess, is because we want folks to get a little more experience in the role before we train them. But to Dr. Kirshner's point, the younger generation of millennials coming out are more suited for this role. So, Belinda, what's your thoughts, obviously, as an education provider and also Dr. Kirshner as an education provider of universities and colleges not offering degrees in our profession and for us having to wait until we get post-degree education through professional organizations? So a couple thoughts on it. Um, Boston University does have a good master's program. Happen to know that one um, in project management. But I think it goes back to the fact that we're shifting away from methodologies. It's easier to have a college curriculum that's based on here are the steps you need to do, practice the steps, write a research report on these steps. How do you apply these steps? But when we look at project management, especially as we move forward, it's more of a nebulous thing. It's a lot of strategy. It's leadership. It's accounting. It is the tactical management as well. It's people management. It's being able to you know, manage up. And so it's, you know, it's kind of hard to stick a label on a, pro I think, a college program and say, okay, this is a project management program because there's so much to it. So I think there's a lot of other aspects that come in. I think that's one, that's one challenge to it is how, how do you do a good program that would do it justice, especially with the pace of change? I think we are seeing a lot of changes within project management. I think PMI is coming along with that, um, in, very impressed with some of the improvements in six edition as far as more of the leadership and soft skills. But I think that's one of the challenges. Um, the challenge I also see is, and I work a lot with the military. I'm a very proud military mom. Uh, my daughter Brandy works for me. She was a CB for eight years in the Navy. And one thing we see is with folks coming out of the military, they have amazing project experience. Again, no degree in project management, but they have that struggle of even being able to get an interview without a PMP. And so being able to give them opportunities of how do we, how do we document your experience in a way that you can qualify for 
the credential. That's what employers are looking for. So in my experience, what I see in the marketplace, employers are, yes, I would love to have degreed project managers, but what they're looking for is certified project managers because it shows that they've had skin in the game. They've got the experience. Sure. And, and Dr. Kersner, your thoughts on universities and colleges and degree programs and project management? Well, I'm going to be a little brutal here and wait for all the nasty emails to come in. Uh, I'll give you a story. Several years ago, a university called me up, the vice president for administration. And he wanted me to work for him setting up masters and doctorate programs in project management. I said, why don't you send me a list of the faculty members you think are going to be part of the program? <laughs> mm. And he did. And then I called him back and I said, I'm not interested. And he said, why? I said, none of these people are qualified to teach in a program. He said, why are you saying that? I said, let me explain the facts of life. I said, let's assume you're teaching in an MBA program in project management and sitting in the room are 30 people, each having somewhere close to 10 years experience in industry managing projects. That's 300 years of experience sitting in one side of the room. And now you're telling me that you want to put somebody in front of that room that's never worked a day in his life outside of academia, and he's going to stand in front of 300 years of project management experience and tell them how they're going to manage projects. I said, that's not my definition of what a quality program looks like. I said, are you prepared to hire a lot of adjunct faculty? I said, not for all of the courses, but for some of the courses, I wouldn't trust faculty members to teach those courses unless they had some degree of experience in project management. And I'll give you an example. The behavioral course. In, a, in, in project management, the people that traditionally, in my mind, attend MBA programs, we teach them what decisions managers have to make when dealing with subordinates. I mean, I taught in an MBA program, and that was like the emphasis, what managers have to do to control subordinates. But when you're a project manager, you have no control over the people assigned to your project. You can't hire and you can't fire. You can't remove people from your project team unless you get authorization from the line manager. You can't, you can't hire these people. You, in many cases, you don't even have responsibility for wage and salary administration. Mm -hmm. That's a line function. And if a worker comes over to you and says that they're working on three projects at the same time and they'll get to your project right after Phoenix wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's going to be a long time. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, easy now. So what are you going to do? And these people are teaching Maslow, McGregor, Hertzberg. All the traditional stuff you teach in MBA programs, but that's not what should be taught to these people in behavioral courses. That's my gripe. It's the qualifications of the faculty. I try to teach one. I try to start a doctorate and a master's program in project management when I was still teaching at the university level. And I made a presentation to the president and the vice president for academic affairs. And they had one question. Who's going to teach these courses? And I said, we have to hire more faculty from the outside. And their response was, okay, what else is on the agenda? 
Well, I mean, it, brutal truth is what we need, right? And again, as a fairly young uh, profession, this is the challenges that we have that we need to start resolving, right? And working through uh, to continue to evolve. I'm not saying there's not good programs out there. Yeah. George Washington is a great program. Uh, Western Carolina has a great program. There's an awful lot of really good masters and doctorate programs in project management. But in some of these programs, the real critical issue is faculty. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, I'm going to touch on a swerve to the left here for a moment. I know, uh, Dr. Kersner, you're a veteran. And Belinda, you mentioned uh, your daughter, I believe, a veteran as well. Two daughters, yep. Two daughters. And we're just past Veterans Day. We just had that. In our show a couple weeks back, we had a focus exclusively on veterans and project management. And the PMO squad, in combination with our partners, Vets to PM and Veterans to Work, offers a veterans project management mentoring program where we pair veterans seeking to become civilian project managers with experienced PMP certified project managers across the United States. So this is a plug for all those listening. If you're a veteran, one, and you need help and assistance with the mentor, uh, go to the PMO Squad website and sign up. It's free for all veterans, of course, to participate. And as a project manager, if you're looking to give back, there is nothing better than giving back to a veteran to help them advance on their transition. So sign up as a, a mentor, and we will work to pair you with a veteran who's looking for some help. All right, so back. Uh, sorry for that commercial. We'll get back to the show. But Dr. Kersner, one other thing that you had started with way back at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned a little bit about the number of constraints that are out there. And right, we've project management historically has been the triple constraint and the golden triangle or whatever we want to label it. How have you seen that evolve over time? And where do you, what do you think constraints are that are maybe more suited for today's discussion than what they used to be? Well, let's understand where the triple constraints came from. When the government created the earned value management system in 1967, they knew, they knew that you cannot determine the success of a project just from time, cost, and scope. But even though they knew there were other constraints they had to look at, they didn't know how to measure them. Measurement techniques were in the infancy stages. In the last 10 years, there's been several books written, several books written on measurement techniques. And one of my colleagues wrote a book, the title of which is How to Measure Anything. And what he says is that anything can be measured if you know what the techniques are. So now that we're realizing that we have measurement techniques, we're learning how to measure benefits and value. The last edition of the PMBOK guide that just came out, that's the first edition where they've actually been discussing benefits and value. Mm -hmm. It wasn't discussed in the previous editions. Now it's being discussed because we know how to measure benefits. We know how to measure value. We're now measuring safety. We're now measuring risk. We're now measuring executive support, whether we have the right executive support. We're now measuring involvement with the customer and customer satisfaction. We have a whole list of metrics. We now have metric libraries where we can have as many as 50 or 100 metrics in them. I have a book on my bookshelf that has 18,100 metrics in it broken out per industries, 18,100 metrics. So in the future, 
we're going to have metric libraries. And my vision of the early stages of a project is the very first thing you have to do is to sit down with the customer and define what success is on that project. There can be a different definition of success on every project. So you and the customer will have to define what success is. Then you go into the metric library with the customer and decide what metrics you need in order to track that definition of success that you've agreed upon at the initiation of the project. So we're going to have to look at project initiation a lot differently than we looked at it in the past, where we assumed all you needed was a business case and then you were done. Now, business cases have another document attached to it, which is called the Benefits Realization Management Plan. And that's the document that in many cases has the additional metrics. Yeah, and I would I would add to that. Um, it's definitely the upfront work. And I do, uh, like I say, a big kudos that we we do have the business case benefits management plan now as part of the the, the PMBOK Guide 6 edition. And Langley, president of, of PMI in his last uh, pulse of the profession, really did talk about both of those concepts as far as the engaged, you know, the engaged executives and are we actually delivering business value? I think I would add to it is not only are we doing more work up front on that benefits management plan and knowing what those metrics are going to be, but also where do we have the defined checkpoints? Because as we move through the project, you know, what we thought was going to happen up front most likely in most projects is not what we're experiencing. And so we have to have defined checkpoints. We have to have defined kill points to say, you know what, we're not going to get the business value we anticipated and we have to be okay with canceling projects. I think that's another thing that plagues our our field is we don't we feel like we're throwing away money if we cancel a project. And sometimes killing a project is the best financial and business decision we can make. So I think checkpoints need to be in there periodically throughout to say, are we going to still realize the benefits we thought? And then at the end, doing that value validation. Did we actually get the benefits? I have a lot of clients that do a lot of great work up front with these business cases. They have great metrics defined, but they never do that validation at the end. Did we actually receive it? If we did, awesome. How did we do that? If we didn't, why? And what do we need to do to fix it on the next project? Yeah. This... Add... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Dr. Kersner. I want to add two things to um, what you just said. First, one of the things that has to be included in any business case now is an acceptance and rejection criteria. We have to give people a threshold level that indicates when the project should be canceled so that we no longer squander money. And also an acceptance criteria, in which cases we can go back and request changes or additional funding. Part of the problem that we're facing goes right back to the top floor of the building. For decades, projects were approved by senior managers that had absolutely no clue how much additional work the organization could take on without overburdening the existing labor force. As such, project managers were brought on board only after a business case was developed, and project managers had no clue about the thinking process that was involved in the creation of that business case or that benefits realization plan. So one of the things that I've been promoting is get rid of the traditional life cycle phases that you have and replace them with an investment life cycle phase where before you even prepare the requirements for that project, you bring project managers on board and ask them for their opinion about the ideas you're coming up with. We are bringing project managers on board too late. 
we need to bring them on board earlier, earlier, and earlier than we have in the past. And I think that would solve a lot of the issues that Belinda just mentioned. And another problem is measuring benefits and value. That's because we've been teaching our project managers that the project's over once you create a deliverable. Mm-hmm. And then the project manager looks for another job assignment somewhere else rather than staying on to see whether or not we're actually getting the benefits and value that we expected out of that project. So with investment life cycle phases, there's two other phases that are on board. One phase is what we call the sustainment phase, where you want to keep the benefits and value that they created. And then there's another phase, which is when you want to go from the deliverable to the creation of value. When you complete a project, you don't have benefits and value. You have a deliverable. Somebody has to take that deliverable and then convert it to benefits and value. It could be marketing. It could be sales, anybody. I had an executive call me into his office, and he said, we just created the most phenomenal company intranet software package imaginable. How do we roll it out to all of our organizations worldwide? I said, why are you asking me? He said, we've been thinking that instead of rolling it out using the IT people, we should let the project team that created it do the training worldwide. And I told him I'm 100% in agreement with you. Mm -hmm. I said, they are the people that created it. They should be part of the team that rolls it out. You don't move them to another assignment, then bring somebody else in to take the responsibility. And then you want to know why the value is not there. Yeah, we had a prior guest, Laura Bernard. One of the things that she talks about frequently is this debate of maybe the project management title is starting to become slightly antiquated as well. And is it as much an investment manager as it is a project manager? And uh, as we continue to evolve as a profession, maybe we see some movement with titles because, again, titles are just titles, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, amazingly, we are basically at about the end of our time. Uh, time flies on project management office hours, especially when we have great guests like we have today. I want to thank Dr. Kersner and Belinda so much for being on the show today and give you one last opportunity to share with our audience how folks can get in touch with you or if you have any new projects coming up, uh, anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss today. Uh, Dr. Kersner, we'll start with you. I'm going to leave you with the same comments that I tell executives. Two comments. One, if every decision you make at the top is the right decision, you're not making enough decisions. (laughs) And if every project you work on is completed successfully, then you're not taking enough risk and not working on enough projects. Project management can't guarantee that all your projects will be successful. But if it's done right, it will certainly improve the ratio of successes to failures. That's fantastic advice. I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Kersner, for being on. And Belinda, same for you. Uh, How can folks get in touch with you or what do you have upcoming? Anything that you want to share with the audience? Sure. Uh, You can reach me through PM learningsolutions.com and that is the my training and consulting business and you know last thoughts are just it you know project management is an amazing exciting field I find it it's funny I'm, I'm speaking for meeting professionals international in a few months and one of their concerns was oh it's project management can we make it exciting and I'm like what project <laughs> management is exciting it's sexy it's good and I think these kind of dialogues are fantastic for advancing our profession so thank you for having me on that's great 
Well, uh, this also is a reminder to everyone that we are live uh, the first and third Thursday each month. Our next show will be back on Thursday, December 6th with Naomi Cayetti and Raul Encinas. And a reminder that these shows are also recorded. So if you couldn't catch us live today, subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your favorite platform is. I believe we're now the number one project management podcast on iHeartRadio, so that's pretty cool. also want to thank again our sponsors, the PMO Squad, where you get expert PMO and project management solutions, not cookie-cutter tailored solutions that we just talked about on this show where it's old school, right? We're trying to solve your current problems and modern solutions. So deploy the squad. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time. I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Mm-hmm.